How do you live your life like tomorrow matters? Perhaps you're already growing food, consuming less, connecting with your community. Perhaps you're already thinking hard, keen to see the world a little slower, greener, healthier. But where to begin? Here on the Future Setting Podcast, we dig deep into the hearts and minds of blissfully normal people doing bloody amazing things, unearthing their moments of contradiction, their hopes and fears for the future, and what galvanises them to action, in the name of inspiring all of us to do a little more in shaping a better future today. I'm Jade, and this is Future Setting. So when I was in the States earlier in the year doing a book tour, I was lucky enough to have Joel Salatin at um, Polly Place Farm invite us down to do a talk. I know the face that you're pulling right now is exactly the face that I pulled when they said, would you, if you're coming to America, consider coming further south? Because we're mostly in the northeast, but we we ducked further south. Anyway, when I got there and I'm setting all my books up, there's this other massive pile of amazing books sitting there in in their farm gate called a thousand hours outside and it really captured it's not very big but there were so many of them and there were so few books or things outside of the um Salatin farm produce that I thought this must be worth its weight in gold and so I scratched the surface Aww. a little and discovered that not only have you written a book but you've also um got a podcast that you've got nearly 50 episodes on congratulations on that I know how much work goes yeah. into these things and um this plethora of curriculum on your website. So the whole concept behind a thousand hours outside is to match outside time with screen time, or as you put it, green time with screen time. And so you've created this world of wonder that makes it super, super simple for families who are fighting the whole screen addiction, as we are the Western world over. Yeah. To just get outside. There's time logs. There's all sorts of amazing tools that you've created. So Jenny, Jenny, how do you say your last name? Is it Uric? It's well, that's what everyone says. We pronounce it Urich with Urich. a ch at the end. Yeah. Okay. And the way you pronounce it surely is the right way. Let's run with that, eh? Hey? Yeah. <laughs> who knows? Jenny <laughs> Urich, who is based in Michigan in the States. We've never met in person, but I feel like I know you even though we've only been talking for three minutes about baby goats. Welcome. We've been in the same place. We've been down to Joel's farm as well. And it's amazing there. They've got that kombucha on tap. And we just went wandering because they let you. It's a really special thing. We met Joel's mom, who's on almost 100. Wow. And there were summer camps going on when we were there. And we walked and saw the pigs and kind of got a little lost, but it was so beautiful <laughs> lost to be there. I have a story about the books, Jade. Um, that book is self-published. A couple of our books are self-published. And I was so thrilled that they wanted to carry my book in their store that I just gave them a box. <laughs> Here you go. As I think it was, you know, one of the first stores that I even knew of that was going to have our book. So. Wow, that was super exciting, and I got some pictures of it in there. And sometimes that's, that's how you get in places. It's a pretty impressive feather in the cap to have your books at the Polyface Farm farm gate, right? <laughs> it's only because I gave them. <laughs> so that was really exciting for me, and that's the story behind that. So, Jenny, you have kids of your own, and is that how this path mm-hmm. opened up for you? It is. It's because I was an awful mom at the beginning and, you know, still probably slightly am, but in a better spot. You know, our kids are really close in age. They're 
uh, we had five kids within eight years, but at the beginning, the first three are less than three years apart. So they were two and one and a baby. And sometimes I see old photos come up. They cried all the time. What is going on? You know, (laughs) so I had a hard time. I had a hard time transitioning. And I think some people do, and some people are a little more natural at it, but I felt like I was failing every day. The needs were enormous, even when we just had the one. Mm -hmm. And it was like a big old slap in the face. (laughs) I was not Mm -hmm. prepared Mm -hmm. for the amount of work and it just doesn't ever end. So um, when our oldest was three, we were just enrolling in different programs. I'm not sure if that's how people do where you live, Mm -hmm. but where we live, it's very program oriented. Put your kid in this and put your kid in that. Don't let them fall behind. Yeah. Real little. Yeah. Yeah. And those are fine, but they're a lot of work, especially when you have little kids. They don't really, yeah, they don't really want to go. Yeah. 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 It's too hot. I'm too hot. It's too cold. I'm too wet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And they're, you know, they're not into it. And so you're spending a lot of effort and output and sometimes money. Sure. Trying to get to these different things that are 45 minutes. And, you know, I would leave completely exhausted. It would be 11 in the morning. Like, oh, my husband's not going to be home for seven or eight hours. (laughs) How will I survive? So that's sort of how I lived for years, really. Very floundering and in a kind of a dark place. I was not enjoying being a mother. And then I had a friend, one of the programs that I did. I'm not sure if they have this where you're at, but it's called MOPS. Um, It stands for Mothers of Preschoolers. And it's this program that they have them in the different communities. And usually there's childcare and it meets a couple times a month. You know, you get to take your kid to the childcare and sit around a table with some moms. Mm-hmm. And, and so I went to that and my kids would never stay in the childcare. They'd always bring them back. But, um, but I made some <laughs> friends there. Thank goodness. And one of the friends told me about this woman named Charlotte Mason. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but she was a British educator from the 1800s, actually. But my friend didn't tell me that she was from the 1800s. She just told me, Charlotte Mason says that kids are supposed to be outside for four to six hours a day whenever the weather is good. And I just thought, Jade, I just thought, no, what an absurd thought. What an absurd statement. That's outlandish. Who could be outside for four to six hours a day? And what would the kids do? You know, I was used to like running ragged, trying to keep them entertained. But then she asked me to do it. She said, will you try it? Yeah. I was like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, when you got little kids, you're trying to make friends however you can. So (laughs) So I said, said, yes. yes. I'm up for the challenge to be my friend. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm thinking this is going to crash and burn. These kids aren't going to be able to occupy themselves for four hours. She says, we're going to meet at a park bring a picnic blanket and a, and a lunch. And I thought, well, what else are we supposed to bring? What are they going to do? And so I went along, we met at nine in the morning, which my kids were up early. So that was fine. And we planned to stay till one o'clock and it turned out to be a defining moment in our family because it was really the first good day that I had as a mom. I hadn't had one up until that point. And what happened was I just got to sit there I don't even know. I was like a miracle. Like the the kids played and she had two that were toddler preschool age. And so did I, then we each had a baby. And so we sat on our picnic blanket and we got to finish a conversation and 
the kids would come and they were hungry and it wasn't a playground. There wasn't a structure. It was just grass and a creek bed and they occupied themselves. And then at one o'clock we packed up and I felt good. I felt refreshed. And then everyone fell asleep, which was another miracle. You know, all at the same time, I drove around for hours yeah. <laughs> or just sat, you know, we're just going to sit in the car. And all of a sudden it was, you know, just a few hours for my husband coming home. And I completely changed the way that we were scheduling early childhood and stopped doing all of those programs, mostly just for me, Jade, at the beginning, because I thought, well, if I'm in a better spot as a mother, our family life is going to run better. But very quickly, I started to notice that our kids were thriving. They were different. They were ruddy is kind of the word I use, but kind of tough. And they were sleeping better and eating better and happier and learning a lot. You know, all of a sudden it was, look at this, look at this, trying all these new things. And so it's been it's been 10 years. It's been over 10 years, actually, since I first did that four-hour day and and I have learned since then, I have read probably a hundred books, maybe more, about how outdoor play enhances child development in every sense, their physical development, their cognitive development, their social skills, their emotional well-being. It does the same for us as adults, but it does it for, for the children and the benefits are lifelong. They're long lasting. And what a thing that we can feel better and our kids can be set up for success simply by spending time outside. And so 1,000 Hours Outside, the name of it came because we had been living that four to six hour thing a couple from Charlotte Mason. A couple times a week, we were getting together with a small group of friends. And eventually, I added up how much time we were outside because I used to teach math and I'm weird. I don't know. There, but there's all those statistics out there, right, Jade? Like yeah, the kids yeah. are on screens for this much. And there was a statistic um, that kids are, it's from the National Wildlife Federation. How's your goats? How's my your goats, goats out there? I've, I've still got a free, a free ranging goat. You keep going. I'll just keep my I'll just keep my arm. Johnny three days old. So yeah, I'm sort of yeah, mindful of the fact that it. she needs to feed regularly and she's stuck herself yes. on the other side of yes. the fence to her mama. Anyway. I love you, it. You keep going. We're on stats. I'm concerned about your goats too. Everyone <laughs> is concerned about the goats. This is the most important. Uh, which one is it? Is it Kip? It's Kip. You're Dixie? good to know. No, Dixie is sticking close with mum. Little Kip is little yeah. enough to fit outside of the ring lock. And so Kip is the one who's who's jumped the fence. Kip goes. And they always go. It's that grass is greener thing, right? They think, I'm going to find something yeah. over there. Goats are so smart. Um, Yeah, so I added up how much time we were spending outside because I'd seen all these other statistics about screen time and things. And one of the ones was that kids are on screens for four to seven hours a day. So this would have been back in 2011 or 2012. Kids are on screens for four to seven hours a day, but they're only outside for four to seven minutes. Oh. And in all, it's big, it's a big gap. And in all the time we were spending outdoors in Michigan here, which is a populated area, we're kind of in suburbia, uh, or we were at that point, um, we were not ever running into other kids, ever. Mm. Toddlers, preschoolers, no one, no kids, except for the ones that came with us. And so we were outside for about 18 to 20 hours a week back then with this little nature group throughout the year on average, which added up to 1,200 hours a year. And that was the exact number of screen time hours uh, in America at the time. 
And it just hit me. Not that screens are evil. Our kids like screens. We use them. But it was more thought of what if this all this time outdoors and all these memories we had made, what if that had all gone to screens? It's mm-hmm. so much time. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, what if we shoot for balance? And so I called it 1,000 hours outside because that's a little catchier than 1,200 hours outside. <laughs> but it came from that. And it echoes right now. They There's current research and Angela Hanscom has a book called Balanced and Barefoot, which is phenomenal. She's a pediatric occupational therapist. So she's seeing this decline in skills for kids mm-hmm. over the past uh, decades. But, she, you know, in her book, she talks about about three hours a day of outdoor play is ideal for kids of all ages. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a little unrealistic too. I mean, who can go outside every single day for three hours? So we have this year long challenge where we're aiming to fill our life with hands-on and with real life and trying to bring back balance to childhood that has become fairly unbalanced in regards to screen time. So that's the backstory. And for a long time, people thought it was really odd, which is fine because I also thought it was really odd at the get-go, but it was so transformative for us. I started to write about it and eventually it caught on and people are doing it all over the world. Yeah. And look, it's the simplest thing. It's, it really mm-hmm. speaks, it harks back to our evolutionary path and our evolutionary and primal need to actually be connecting with the outside world. I'm reading this book at the moment by Claire Dunn um, called Rewilding the Urban Soul. Yeah. And when I picked it up, the cover of it made me think, oh, but I don't live in an urban environment and I don't really think that I've got an urbanised soul. I think I'm, I'm pretty connected to the outside world. There has not been a single paragraph where I haven't learned something. Every single paragraph on every single page has given me an aha moment. And as a result, I've since started to develop all these other habits like creating a daily sit spot and and really deeply observing quietly or silently even and and calmly. And it's made me realise that that actually is what we are as human beings. We have this time little window where we've been industrialized and highly programmed and highly scheduled and mm-hmm. you know these structured existences that are predominantly inside uh, that just didn't exist for the vast vast right. majority of humankind and so it's it's incredible that we have to relearn something that is so innate but as you say in your beautiful explanation that was so incredibly real and humble I love that you're willing to say I was kind of a frazzled mom and I didn't really enjoy it like I say that too and people say you can't actually say that like that that's actually not okay to say out loud but it's true it's not yeah it's like don't you wish it's like you wish that people were really honest and because it was such a stark contrast between the life I had before and the life I had after and then maybe you feel like well something's wrong And truth be told, I think there was an easier way to do it than I was doing it. But it's nice when you hear that it's hard for other people too, because then you Mm. feel a little bit more normal about your own feelings Mm. and the struggles that you're going through. And it's real. Let's keep it real. Mm -hmm. Um, So if I do my maths correctly, you now have an almost teenager. I do. I have a 14-year-old. So I would love to unpack what 
life outside looks like for a 14-year-old when they've made that transition away from the family nest and they're pushing towards their their cohort or their their comrades, their Mm -hmm. mates, more importantly than their family, and screen starts to dominate again. How are you managing that? I tell you what, these are really fun years, Jade. We just went on a family kayak trip. We've actually done, and when I say a trip, I mean, it's a couple hours. So it's not really a trip, but our youngest just turned six this summer. And so we're finally in a different spot where Mm. she's old enough to do a lot of the things that would have held us back before. And so we're in this age where everyone can adventure and it looks different and it's really fun because we've laid the groundwork. Mm. You know, the children, when they involve themselves in risky, and some people say they don't like the word risky, but play that stretches them and challenges their bodies. They learn what their bodies can do. And in the long run, they're safer. They know how to climb a tree and they know the little nuances of movement within their own body. And so they're so good at adventuring and we can hike to waterfalls and we can climb things. We can go wherever. And we just did this kayaking and it was really fun, you know, a couple hour down a river and it was our first time. So what I see is that the adventuring becomes more adventurous Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that we laid the foundation for our kids, for their stamina, for their endurance, for what they want, they're supposed to expect out of things. And, you know, they still, they ask to play screens all the time, all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, every day, all the time, even though we have boundaries for it, there's always something so-and-so is able to talk and they're not usually able to talk and so-and-so texted and this person and that and can I edit a video and all of these different things they have all sorts of things going on but but by filling our life with what we want to fill it with first which is time outdoors real life time connection it pushes out the time that's left over for screens Mm -hmm. and that has been one of the things that has really worked for our family which is there's just not time for it. We ran out, you know, the day has ended and it was a full day and we had a great day and everyone connected and made memories and it's over. And maybe there was only 20 minutes of it that was available for screens, or maybe there was none, or maybe there was a little bit more, but it just helps to keep the balance. It's hard to keep the balance as they're getting older, but it was hard when they were little too, for different reasons which I think is a point that it's actually never easy. Your point of they have peers and they're changing and they're about to launch into adulthood is easier in some ways. I don't have to get everybody dressed. I don't have to bring a diaper bag and change of clothes. (laughs) They can bring their own water bottle. But then on the other hand, we're busier. They have sports and different things that they're involved in. We're on the cusp of having jobs and things. So I think you have to adventure in the season that you're in in the ways that you can, Mm. because it's never easy to make it happen. Mm, mm, mm. And you have five, so that's busy. That's really busy. That's a big family. I don't know if that's really common where you are, but it's probably not so common here. I would say that sort of two to three is the average family Mm -hmm. size here. Um, I would love to know, with five and in the season that you're in, have you developed any rituals that really speak to your outside world and to the seasons that 
uh, are passing through the anum. We tried the sit spot two days in a row. My kids threw a fit, but I do like the sit spot idea to sit and notice. And so we, we go, we are on a whim. If there is an opportunity and we do seasonal things, that's a beautiful part of where we live is that the four seasons are beautiful. And so we do cider mills and leaf going to do leaf hikes and seeing the changes in the colors in the fall. And in the winter, we make things out of ice and in the summer we swim, but I wish I was better at that kind of stuff. I am not, you know, you see it on Instagram, people that are so intentional. Oh, they do such beautiful things. And I am just not that person. My mind can't do it. I try, but, but for us, it's just about connecting. It's about, um, building memories. These are the things that kids remember. And actually I just was reading, I talked to this man, Michael Easter, and he wrote a book called the comfort crisis, which is basically like, we're all far too comfortable. Mm -hmm. Everyone's just used to 72 degrees and sitting and Mm -hmm. we're just so comfortable. And he's talking about the benefits of being uncomfortable basically. But one of the things he talked about is when you're experiencing something new, that time does really slow down a little bit. And because you have all these sensory experiences, you remember it better. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're doing when we're outside. It doesn't have to be anything in particular. We have some places that we go around us that are boring, flat path, you know, or something around a little pond or these different places. But if we take friends, they're all still memorable for whatever reason. It's surprising, but they are. And there's little variations every single time you go because the weather changes and you see different wildlife and things. And, and those are the things that stick with you. Our kids remember quite a bit from the adventuring outdoors all the way back to when they were pretty little. Yeah. Yeah. That, those memories so deep, don't they? And for them, it starts to lay paths and patterns for them to follow yeah. as they, as they sort of navigate into adulthood and start to make their own decisions. Right. Yeah, I right. My my twins have just got back from doing a couple of weeks paddling down one of our major rivers, and wow. we're in flood at the moment. There's floods all over the place, and when they were doing the paddle, okay. it was right at the. They call it a brimmer over here. She's she's right on the banks at the top of the banks, about to burst. And um, you know the, the stories that they tell you and their comfort in the natural world is so reassuring to hear that they've actually wow. got these experiences and they've got a capability in the outside world that doesn't require you. You know, you mentioned it before that right. when you see kids climbing in the natural spaces that, you know, they're, they're odd sizes in terms of their steps because everything that they step on is is naturally created as part of the ecosystem rather than a prefabbed, you know, climbing gym. And so they start mm-hmm. to learn the nuances and the capability of their own body. And I think as they get... Right older they start to build identity around that and ours have certainly built identity have yours they have and and my hope is that it has laid enough of a, of a foundation that they'll be able to combat what is coming at them which i think is a lot i'm reading mm-hmm. this book called the singularity is near mm-hmm. and it's by a man named ray kurzweil who made keyboards. That's how I knew about him. Electric, electronic keyboards. I had one when I was a kid and he is someone that predicts the future of technology. And he's been really accurate over the years. I think he's been predicting 
maybe since the 1980s. And they say his accuracy rate is something like 86%. And he wrote this book in 2005, which is before Facebook. And he's predicting virtual playgrounds and virtual experiences. And that's what they're talking about with that metaverse. I thought, this is bizarre. How is he writing about these things? And Facebook didn't even exist and nobody knew who Mark Zuckerberg was. And now there's all this talk about virtual reality glasses. And the time frame that he gives is really interesting. He says it will come out in the 2020s and it will be clunky. But by the end of the 2020s and into the 2030s, there's going to be this who and who knows? I mean, who knows what's coming? But this sort of mix of virtual and real and it will be so immersive. And I think that is the world that we're launching our kids into. And I feel even more so now this push to make sure that they really value real world Mm -hmm. and nature and people and analog, I guess is what people call it, right? Anything that's not electronic, like not digital. So the book has been eye-opening. He has one coming out in, and I don't know what I think about it. Who, who knows? I mean, maybe he's wrong, but it is something to think about. He has a book coming out in 2024 called The Singularity. That's like the mix, I guess, of real and virtual, this mesh, and it's called The Singularity is Nearer. That's the one that's coming out in 2024. Like, what is going on? But you see it, it is pulling us in. And I had read recently that the top five apps that were downloaded in 2021 were all social media. That's TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. I, I don't remember all five, but they were all five social media apps. You know, Google Maps is down the list. It's not even in the top five. So, it's definitely drawing us in and Mm -hmm. I just hope that our kids have a good enough foundation that they're going to be able to resist enough to where they still have a life that they feel is fulfilling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's that balance thing. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's modeling. I think you've said a few times, I don't feel like I'm a superstar mom. I beg to differ, but in the meantime, I would like to know what it looks like for you to feel like you've achieved what you set out to achieve? Like what does success look like? Well, that's a good question. It looks like a fulfilling life to me, which is one that has balance and one where we connect on a regular basis as people within our own family and and in broader circles within our community and one where I think we maintain our ground with what we believe a good life is and the things that make us happy, the things that make us fulfilled tend to not be the scrolling and -hmm. tend to not be these little touch points and these sort of illusions of social connection. And so I think on a daily basis, and I'm sure that you are as well on a farm, an author doing book tours with a podcast, we're sort of day by day over here. What does Mm -hmm. this day look like? And how can I keep my priorities straight within this day? And I think that if we live well today, that tomorrow will take care of itself. Mm-hmm. And we live with a little bit of um, conscientious consideration for what tomorrow actually needs to bring. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. That's one of the things that you really talk about with the future studying. Mm. Yeah. That word, that's not even a word. 
yeah. it is a word. <laughs> you have made it a word. Yeah, it's a word. We've turned it into something. So how much is enough? I ask this question all the time and actually I've now I have it repeated back to me. We did a shoe audit on the weekend and you have five children, so I can only imagine how many shoes you have in your house. But we did a shoe audit and on a farm, I don't know, we just have so many gum boots and work boots and you know, trashy garden boots and my husband said to me, How many shoes is enough? I said, Don't preach my sentences back to me. And he said, Well, it's kind of true. How many sets of gumboots can any one of us wear at any given time? Let's actually think about how much enough is. What is enough for you? What fills your cup? I tell you what, I I don't know what it is, but like I said, that Angela Hanscom had that thing about three hours a day and this time outdoors. And I think that if enough of our life is filled with engaging experiences, then we feel fulfilled. And so that's sort of our North Star. That's Mm -hmm. a top priority. And in order to do that, you don't need much. You sure need clothes for the season in some degree. But what's really neat is that some of the clothes for the season, you only need one of. If you're going to wear a base layer of maybe a merino wool, which I remember my midwife told me about that. You know, we just bought whatever was at the, they have here mom to mom sales. Do they have those by mm-hmm. you? We do. Everyone yeah. will get together and bring all their stuff, you know, and everything costs a quarter and or a dollar, you know, and my midwife, she says, uh, the kids should be wearing this merino wool. What's well, $40 for a shirt, you know? And I mm-hmm. thought, well, I'm never... <laughs> I'm not spending $40 on one shirt, but I normally buy things for a quarter. But what I learned, because I eventually, she eventually won me over, is that the wool creates heat. It actually generates heat. There's this chemical process where it mixes with your sweat and there's some something that happens. And, and I read that something, and I know our, our measurements are different, but it was something like one pound of wool can generate as much heat as an electric blanket. And so at the beginning, we just bought them really big. We started with just shirts and then we're passing down and mix and matching over the years, but you only need one set and they're antimicrobial and you don't have to wash them often and they're antifungal and antibacterial and they don't smell and they pull the moisture away from the body so that our kids aren't cold. And then they're able to play for so much longer. In fact, Sometimes there would be these days where it would be cold out. I would be cold, you know, because your kid always has the better thing. Well, they're running the too. The kids would have. Sitting, chatting. <laughs> yeah, they're moving. Yeah, sure. And I'm nursing a baby and, mm-hmm. and things like that. But they're running around and it's cold and they're down to their woolen layer because they're so warm mm-hmm. from all of that movement. And because the wool is wicking away the moisture and the moisture is what makes us feel cold. And So that's enough. You learn that you don't need much. You know, we do, uh, well, it doesn't rain that much where we're at. So we don't need a bunch of different kinds of boots, but everyone has a black, everyone gets black and then we pass them down (laughs) until they're worn through and leaking. And we're passing down the woolen underlayers and the hats and all of the different things. and, And that seems to be enough. We don't need much. Everybody has one water bottle and, and we try and keep track of the things and, and then we're ready to go. So 
There is a little bit of a scramble this time of year, though, because it's like whose thing fits who and who can take anyone else's. <laughs> and will this person, <laughs> well, you have to have a chart to kind of figure it out who has mittens and who needs boots and who needs a scarf. And um, Well, your that, seasons are extreme. There's very few parts of Australia where it's quite that extreme. Um, where we are actually can be as extreme, but we're a tiny, tiny little kind of microcosm on our blip on our country. Mm-hmm. But you have extreme weather conditions. You go from, you know, minus 20 right through to... Yeah, it gets 30, pretty cold 35. here. Yeah, so pretty warm. And and that's fun because each season offers something different. But I find that by filling our life with those times outside, it feels like it is enough. And our kids seem to be doing fine with their academics and with their social skills and emotionally they're happy kids you know the screen still tries to draw them in but they still have an imagination and Mm -hmm. we actually just went to the beach so we're in Michigan and Michigan is surrounded by what are called the Great Lakes these huge bodies of water it looks like an ocean but it's a lake freshwater lake and you go to the shore and it's it goes all the way around the whole state there's different of these Great Lakes and so we went over we had a warm day heading into the fall and we had forgotten our beach toys. So the kids like a shovel and a bucket and we have a mesh bag that's got the beach toys. Well, we forgot it because it was heading into the fall and the seasons had changed and it just didn't get brought. And we were with some other families and they forgot their toys too. So now all the kids are mad. You know, they're grumbling. It was everyone forgot the toys. But then they used driftwood and they made a pretend boat. And they had oars and they were setting up a mast and they're carrying. It's so cute. They got all these little six-year-olds carrying these huge pieces of thing and they're working together. And I thought, well, I'm glad we forgot the toys because nature, I think that nature most often is enough. It's enough because it meets everyone at the stage that they're at, the age that they're at. The newborn loves the rustling leaves and the grandma loves a quiet walk, a stroll down a path, and there's something for everybody out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting, isn't it, that we've created all these complexities and actually all we needed was just outside. Yeah, I agree. Mm. What does tomorrow look like for you guys as a family of five? Well, actually, tomorrow I have a book deadline that is in less than a month. So I have a lovely friend who has five kids, and she is taking all five of my kids for all (laughs) afternoon. So that's what tomorrow is looking like, and I am scrambling to get my last chapters in for this book. But this is a dear friend of mine that I've had for a decade that we've forged a friendship through our outside experiences, simple outside experiences, and the kids get along. It's actually surprisingly easier to have the 10 kids than it is to have the five. Yeah. It's like cousins yeah, because yeah, they all play all together mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they know each other so well. So they'll play outside there and run around and shoot, shoot baskets and climb and swing and do all that kind of stuff and I will be writing tomorrow and that's kind of to the point that I brought up earlier which is that we have this overall goal for the whole year to get outside for a certain amount of time we don't always hit it we haven't always hit it most of the time we do but we haven't always but you know the point is is that it also gives flexibility that I can know well 
we maybe did a weekend camping trip or we did these other things that were memorable because sometimes we have responsibilities and things that have to get done and deadlines and appointments and all sorts of things that pop up in adult life. But I still feel that our year is fulfilling. Looking back over every month, looking back over the year as a whole, it was, you know, you see that, oh, that was, that was a great year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just got really dark here. Can you see the, the shadow change in the room? Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize it was meant to rain today and I'm meant to be outside potting up the last thousand trees that we've got to, to pot and I don't think it's going to oh. happen. I think the rain's going to beat me. More rain. We've had so much rain this year. We're well and truly wow. over our annual average. And that's what you said, that things are flooding. Yeah, we've had floods in our whole region. Yeah, it's um, – if you could go back to your first baby and reassure yourself with some advice, what would it be? I just wish I would have started this earlier. I wish I would have known because I was so frazzled. That was the word you used. That's a good word. And he didn't sleep much. And the days were very, very, very long. And so I just wish we would have gone to the park and laid out a blanket and read books and met up with other kids and did the swings and all of those simple things. And instead, I was just dragging him everywhere. And he screamed in the car and he didn't like it. He wanted to be out and about and active and engaged with. But the way that I was doing it was not benefiting either of us. And so had I known back then, I think, I wish I would have just gone with the flow more. I think I tried to schedule and it didn't work. And it does work for some people, but it didn't work for me. And so that contributed to feelings of failure. Mm -hmm. This isn't working. Why isn't this working? Trying to sort of fit it into a box. And I think that I have learned that we all develop. And we all bloom at our own pace. And when we give kids the opportunity to follow their instinct, that they grow and develop in ways that we couldn't ever orchestrate even on our own, even as the adult, even as the expert, mm -hmm. that they are, their inner biology is driving that through play, through exploration, through curiosity. And so that's an interesting thing too. I had read recently about NASA they had some sort of a test where they were testing for creativity. Have you heard of this? No. They So NASA, they wanted to find the most creative employees that were already employed at NASA. So they hired some guy or company or something to create a test that would test for creativity. And I think that the test was fairly simple. It was mainly about... Um, can you find innovative solutions for things? If we give you a problem, can you be creative? Can you come up with a lot of different ideas of how to use a fork of these different things? And so they gave this test to all the employees at NASA and then it worked. They said it worked. It helped them find the creative people. It helped them find the innovative people. And so they thought, well, how, how do we learn more about creativity and where does it come from? So they gave the test to kids. Yeah to kids. And they gave it to a bunch of five-year-olds, uh, you know, a, a, a wide ranging demographic of five-year-olds, I think 1600 of them. And 98% of them fell into the category of creative genius. 
98%. And then within a, a period of time, maybe they checked back at age 10 and it had dropped to something like 68%. And then they stopped back at age 15 and it had dropped to 50%. And by the time they were testing the regular generation, uh, the general population of adults, which I think they said they tested maybe a million adults, that it's 2%. <laughs> of us fall into this category of creative genius. So it made me think like we're selling our kids short. Why aren't we just letting them? Yeah. Like we're trying to coerce and dictate and direct all of their time when really they are the creative geniuses and we are not. So it's kind of interesting. I have learned that our kids just bring so much to the table and they come how they come. There's not much I think that we can change in terms of their innate interests and sometimes their innate abilities. And so the more time that they have, the more they can flourish in those areas that they already have a bent toward. Mm. Have you had any experience with twins? No. Tell me about yours. (laughs) So I only ask this because I sort of got two individuals, but we call them twin individuals because they're individuals, but they sort of operate as one. And um one of mine I love is that word. One of mine is significantly more creative and tactile and empathetic and disorderly than the other. And the other one is really process centric and methodical and um, articulate and uh, systemized. And so, you know, that crea- creativity, I feel like I've got one with more than he probably should have had and one with maybe less than he should have had, but it's because they both operate in unison. And if you pull them apart, you, you rarely get to see them apart. But when you do pull them apart, you really get to hone in on where the other one actually does have creativity. You just never get to see it because they that's not the role or the dynamic that they play. That's interesting. So, uh, and that is a thing. I read this book by Carla Hannaford called The Dominance Factor. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good book. She is also a pediatric occupational therapist. And she talks about how, you know, we know if we're right-handed or left-handed. And we tend to know if we're right-brained or left-brained, logic or creativity. But then she also said we can be right-eye dominant or left-eye dominant, mm-hmm. right ear, left ear, right foot, left foot. Mm-hmm. and the whole book talks about how there's 32 different combinations and all of those combinations matter. It matters how you learn to read. It matters where you sit in the classroom. It matters how your body responds when you get stressed out and all of these different things. And so that, that was interesting. We just can't change our kids. They are who they are. And so the time and space, I think, allows them to flourish however it is that they came to us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of broader for all of us. We actually can't change who we are either. And we've all had our corners clipped so that we fit in slightly rounder holes. But the, the truth is that we actually are the way we are. The, the sum of our lifelong parts has added up to make us the human that we are along with our genetic disposition. And so we have an inclination towards certain things. And if we just let ourselves go there. Yeah. 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 I'm reading this book by um, Dr. Madeline Levine, and it's called Ready or Not. And it's about, I think, how we're pushing kids. And she has this line in there where she talks about people that she knows that are successful. And she says their path is squiggly. That's the word she uses. Mm -hmm. That we all have 
not all of us, but a lot of us have a very winding path Mm -hmm. and we end up in these spots. Who knows? I mean, I'm talking to someone from Australia. Here I sit in Michigan (laughs) and, and I've got a book deadline and I was a math teacher and this is bizarre. Who who knew? And so that flexibility and that adaptability, those come through play. And when we were kids, there wasn't as much screen opportunity mm-hmm. where things weren't automatically going at autoplay. There wasn't mm-hmm. anything else on. Mm-hmm. There were boundaries that were written into the framework of society. I think that helped parents even because, well, if there's nothing on, then the parent doesn't have to say, turn it off. They're yeah. just, the shows are over. And so it's become, I think, harder in a lot of ways for parents. Yeah. And, and for kids. It's a, because the lure and is long and they, they, they just want to be with mm. their friends, but they're not as yeah. comfortable. You know, they just haven't got the experience yeah. or the opportunity because that screen is what gets yeah. in between them. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a good point, Jade. It is harder to be a kid. It's so much harder uh, to be a kid. Yeah. But I'm constantly trying to remind myself that this adaptability and flexibility piece is key for an uncertain future. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think so too is um, the thing that's key is them being allowed to be themselves. Mm-hmm. It's where they'll be strongest. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Did you come up with that word, twin individuals? I think my mum did because when they were teeny <laughs> tiny, they were so clearly different individuals but they were only really 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 happy when they were physically mashed together so we would you know I'd be feeding one while the other was sitting on the couch and the one on the couch would be grizzling and then I'd swap them and they would swap and then as soon as you put them back in the bassinet together they'd just they'd nestle in around each other and both go to sleep very happily and so we had this idea that um we've sort of got one but actually we've got two and so mum was like yeah we really need to make sure that they become two individuals we'll never take their twinness away from them but they must be individuals Aw. So this runs in your blood. You are wordsmiths. <laughs> I thought you were about to say twins. I was about to say, well, you know that. So I've got twins everywhere on both my mum's side and my dad's side. Wow. So I always knew I would have twins. And when I, I went to the Aww. doctor at nine weeks pregnant and as sick as a dog and had the first um the first scan, he said, oh, I've got some news. And I said, you're going to tell me I've got twins. And he said, have you already had a scan? I said, no, no, I've known since I was about six that I would have twins. So it's no <laughs> surprise in it. <laughs> uh, but we digress into a whole different direction. I, just one very final question, and it's just putting it back on you. Is there something that you need to share that I haven't given you the opportunity to share today? Oh, that's a good question. I always struggle because I'm kind of a one-trick pony. And I had someone who asked me recently, what other parenting advice do you have? And I said, nothing. I have nothing else. I have nothing else. Right, exactly. Or sometimes I speak at conferences and that's like the only answer I have. The parents are like, oh, my kids are fighting. What do I do? I'm like, you go outside. Like, oh, we're all stressed out. What do I do? You go outside. You know, uh, the kids are struggling with their academics. Like, oh, you go outside. It works. It's it works for not everything, but it works for a lot of things. I just think we have a very joy filled life, and the premise of 1,000 Hours Outside is simple, like you said, but it is not easy to. Set aside time in a world that praises busy and 
in a world that is trying to stuff our lives full with electronics, but also other things that are good, extracurricular things, but that are taking time away from that freedom Mm. and from that free play. And so my message is always just to encourage that we can gain more by doing less sometimes and that that simplicity is often what our families need to thrive, especially in a world that's as busy and unpredictable as this one is. So I really appreciate you having me on. And I think it's awesome that you saw my free books that I left (laughs) at Polly Bates Farm. Oh, you know, like you're so desperate. You're like, oh, I really, they offered, they were so sweet. But I'm like, I want them there so bad that here you go. I'm just going to hand them over. Uh, Well, good on you. And it led to this conversation. It did. It did. So, um, and your, so your wealth, of, you know. your wealth of knowledge. I feel like um, some conversations that we have leave us with maybe one or two reference books in the show notes. I feel like perhaps yours may have just <laughs> have just topped topped out. Um, well, you're your, a big reader too. I've seen the book stacks on your inst- on your Instagram. Well, there's so much to learn, and I read mostly just to continue to give myself a backbone because every day my kids are like, can I play video games? You know, and I have to have that consistent flow of information that reminds me to say, no, 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 There's something more. You know, sometimes you can, but not constantly. So uh, the books really help. And there are so many good ones, including yours, Future Steady. Future Steady. Well, thank you. Isn't she just a firecracker? I'm so glad I got to bring that conversation to your ears. And how easy is the concept of replacing screen time with green time? I ask that uh, genuinely because it sounds like it should be super easy, but even for those of us who have lives that pull us outside all the time, it can be really difficult. And so it's amazing to see the work that she's doing to encourage all of us and find ways to make it easier to actually commit to it as a family and maybe even as an individual. Next week, I'm bringing you someone who um, I've wanted to bring you for a very long time, but we just haven't managed to make our diaries cross. It's Sarah Wilson. She's uh, a big name that everybody would know for lots and lots of different reasons. And we're going to talk about things that I didn't imagine she would be quite so open to talk about. Anyway, hopefully you will join us then. Until then, have a beautiful week.